Christmas is big because it's the event that marked the moment in world history for us to come, know, and love God. This message is the first in the series, A Big Christmas. The message is entitled, Back to God. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Morning, grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 as I start a new series of messages for Christmas entitled, A Big Christmas. I want to talk this weekend about getting back to God, getting back to God. Uh, Christmas to me is a wonderful time of year. I just love this season. I love everything about it. I love the songs. I love uh, the decorations. I love just the atmosphere. I love the food. I love the presents. I love it all. Okay, I love Christmas. Christmas is a great time of year. And while there are a lot of things that we celebrate related to Christmas and we enjoy related to Christmas, one of the things that's very important for us each year when we come to this time in this season is to remember what it's all about. What is Christmas about and why do we celebrate? Why do we give gifts? Why do we decorate? What is this about? And sadly, in our world today, in our culture, there's not much acknowledgement of the real reason for the season. And I want to bring us back to that in this series of messages over this Christmas season 2015 to help us to understand what Christmas is all about and why it is a very big deal. Christmas is a big deal. It's a big deal because of some things that happened that God did for each one of us. And Christmas is what when, when we celebrate it and remember it in our hearts and in our minds. Over 2,000 years ago, there was something that marked history, one of the biggest events of history. The only other event that compares with it is the event of Jesus' resurrection, and that's why we celebrate two major things in the Christian calendar, Christmas and Easter, because these are the two primary points of celebration related to what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary and in His coming and His death and in His resurrection. So Christmas is one of these major times of the year, and over 2,000 years ago, God came into our world. And the Apostle John described it in a very unique way. He doesn't tell the Christmas story like some of the other gospel writers does. He really goes to the heart of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do for us at Christmas. Notice John chapter 1 beginning in verse number 1. I'm going to read down through verse 14. And I want you to listen to this as the Christmas story in a unique way as John presented it to us. In the beginning, the Word... Now, the word there, the Greek term is logos, and it really refers to Jesus. Every time you see the word spoken of here in John chapter 1, John is referring to Jesus. In the beginning, the word, or Jesus, already existed. The word, or Jesus, was with God, and the word, Jesus, was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word, that is Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. This, or the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Isn't that beautiful? God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John, this is John the Baptist, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming, was coming into the world. That's Christmas. He, Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulted from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word, Jesus, became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. 
When Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, the Son of God came into our world to reveal God to us and to bring us into a personal relationship with God. And so Christmas is a big deal because it is the event in history that made it possible for you and me to come back to God. That's why it's so important. I want to unpack this for you today with five things you need to understand about Jesus coming to bring us back to God. Five very important principles, fundamental principles for your faith. Not only for your own faith, but also to share your faith in Jesus with others around you. The first thing that you must understand to really grasp the coming of Jesus to bring us back to God is you must grasp and understand that we all were created to know and love God. Every person was created by God to love and to know God. People are God. God's creations. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, the very first book of the Bible. Then God said, let us, this is the Trinity, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock over, and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind. Who created mankind? God did. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You might say, Pastor, do you really believe that God made man? My answer is absolutely. I don't think that we're some higher form of evolution. I believe that God Almighty had a design and purpose for mankind, that God made you, that God created you in the creative purposes and plans of God. He saw you and created you for a reason and for a purpose. Why did God create us? God created us to know Him and to love Him. The number one objective for your life is to know God and to love God. We were created by God for God. Say that with me. We were created by God for God. We were created to live close to God, not far away from God. That's why God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden so that there could be close fellowship and close relationship. And closeness to, to God is, is joyous. It is fun. It is fulfilling. It is releasing. It's positive. It's, it's whole. It's healthy. It's happy. That's where your greatest life will ever be found when you're living a life that is how it was meant to be lived in closeness with God. You were created by God to know Him and to love Him. The second thing you must understand to grasp this idea of Jesus coming back or coming to bring us back to God is that we now, by reason of sin, have lost our way. We were created to know and love God, but by sin we have lost our way. The Bible tells us this tragic story in the book of Genesis of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and their failure, and their failure in the garden is called the fall, the fall of man. It's called the fall with a capital F because it is this massive moment in history that painfully marked all people for all time. It was this moment when Adam and Eve, in the midst of the beauty of the Garden of Eden, the glory of God's presence, that these two individuals were lured away from God by the crafty temptation of Satan who shows up as a serpent. God had given Adam and Eve this beautiful garden and only given them one command, one rule to follow. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. The day you eat of it, you'll surely die. One commandment, one simple rule to follow. Why did God even give them this rule? Why did God give them one commandment to follow? Because God wanted them to show love for him, not out of, 
out of being simply a puppet or someone that, that love was forced upon, but out of their will, they were choosing to live in relationship with God. So one rule to follow, one command, and Adam and Eve said, we're going to walk away from what God has asked us to do. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, listen to this terrible story that has marked every human being from the time of these two in the, in the, in the garden. Now the serpent, as Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. So also gave, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here is this moment in history when Adam and Eve walked away from God. They disobeyed God. Now notice the effects of sin described in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23 and verse 24. So the Lord God banished him, that's Adam, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This was a very serious and decisive moment in human history. At this moment, Adam and Eve experienced something called spiritual death. They were still alive, but they were dead on the inside. They suffered a fatal spiritual blow from which they could not recover themselves because they had yielded to sin and yielded to Satan. And from that, that time forward, every human being that has been born has been born dead. There's physical life, but there's spiritual death. Every human being that has ever been born from that time forward because of our progenitors, where, where our heritage comes from, Adam and Eve died so all they could reproduce is death. You can only reproduce what you are. And so Adam and Eve were dead spiritually, and we experienced that in the death spiritually of each person. So we are all, when we're initially born into this world, we're what we might call the walking dead. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, read the next phrase with me, death came to all people because all sinned. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, as for you, Paul talks to the Ephesian believers looking at their past before they met Christ. As for you, you were dead. Not you were bad, you were dead. There's a difference. It's not just about, our issue is not being bad, our issue is being dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, and what you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. We were created by God to know him and to love him, but we have lost our way. And the problem is not that we're, we're just bad sinners. That's, that is an issue. But the real issue is that we're dead on the inside. We can't live righteously for God because there's no spiritual life 
in us. That's the problem of mankind. The third thing that I want to share with you, this is the story of the gospel, and I love this story. It is what Jesus came to do for us, bring us back to God, as you have to understand that our works don't work. Let me explain that for you. Spiritual dead people have invented all kinds of ways to try to reach God. All these dead people walking around say, well, you know, we need to get back to God. How can we get back to Him? And so they create all these different ways to get back to Him. And these ways are called religion. That's what a religion is. A religion is a way that humanity, dead humanity, is trying to get back in right relationship with God. And let me give you a definition for religion. Because let me on the, on, this is a very important understanding. Christianity, by definition of the Bible, is not a religion. I know sociologists will refer to it as one of the world's religions, and I understand how they categorize it in that way, but technically, in, re in reality, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is about us experiencing a relationship with God. There are two very important words to understand, religion versus relationship, and these are vital terms for us to grasp, because Christianity is not a religion, it is about getting to a relationship with God. But spiritually dead people are always trying to come up with some kind of religion that will get them back in relationship with God. So let me give you the definition for a religion. Are you ready for this? A religion is any set of rules, rituals, deeds, or acts that when properly and consistently done are supposed to earn people God's favor, compensate for their sins, and get them into heaven. Read it again. Are you listening? What is a religion? It's any set of rules, rituals, deeds, or acts that when properly and consistently done are supposed to earn, key word there, earn people God's favor, compensate for their sins, and get them to heaven. How many folks do you know that are trying to get to heaven this way? If I'm just good enough, if I can follow all the the right boxes and check them off and I just do all the right rituals and go through all the right forms and follow all the right rules and somehow I'm going to have God look at me and say, you're okay now, you're fine, you can come in. And many people in our world today in the context of religion are trying to earn a relationship with God. Religion is designed to try to get you back to God, but the, it's based upon works. But here's the bad news, the problem with works is that they don't work. They don't work, okay? They just don't work. Religious acts can make you feel better for a period of time. They can kind of help you compensate for a little bit of your guilt along the way. But they can do nothing for your relationship with God. They can't. They don't change you on the inside. Following any rule will never change you in here. And your problem is not out there. Your problem is in here. That's our issue. We're spiritually dead on the inside. And so our spiritual situation is not about our badness that some good work is going to fix. It's about our deadness. We don't have even the capacity to really do what pleases God because we're dead on the inside. And if we're going to work our way to God, we have to be perfect. Because God is perfect. If you want to get God's approval by your works, you have to be perfect in your works. And the reality is there's not a single one of us that can be perfect in our works. We cannot do it. It's impossible. So you need more than good works. You need a new life. Amen? Church, are you with me? You need more than good works. You need a new life. 
very, very vital that we grasp this. Romans 3, verse 20, listen to what it says. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous, as in right standing with God, in God's sight, by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. All the law does for us, God's law is point out how bad we really are, okay? What the issues are in our life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. John 3, verses 1 through 7. Listen to this story. Jesus' encounter with this, this very religious man. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Let me stop there for a moment. This guy is one of the best guys you'll ever meet. He is the cream of the crop. He's at the top of the, of, the, of the list, if you will, of those who are good, solid religious people. He's doing all of the works that any good religious person would do. He's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He has an interest in the things of God. His name is Nicodemus, and he came to Jesus at night. I call this, as we've heard before, perhaps the original Nick at night. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus comes and said, Jesus, you know, uh, I'm a Pharisee, and I, I'm doing all the right stuff and everything, but, you know, you seem, you seem kind of unique. I don't think you could be from God and do all these things. I'm kind of interested in who you are. So he's inquiring about Jesus. Jesus replied. I love Jesus, how he always goes right to the heart of issues. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God, unless they are, what, what's the phrase, church? Born again. What happens when you're born again? Born. Birth is all about the giving of life, okay? He said, Nicodemus, your problem is not whether you're good or bad. Your problem is you don't have spiritual life in you. Your religion is not giving you life. Notice the next response. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time in their mother's womb to be born. So Nick is kind of thinking very physically here. I can't figure this thing out. Be a born again? What are you talking about? I've already been born. I'm old now. I can't go back in my mother's womb. What do you mean, Jesus? Jesus answered very truly, I tell you, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So we were created to know and love God. That's why God made you, so that you could know him and love him. But we lost our way because of sin. Our issue, the issue of sin is not just being bad. The issue of sin is being dead on the inside. And so we're in desperate need of new life because only life in us can change us from the inside out. And here's the fourth thing. And after this point, you might want to shout hallelujah with me. Jesus is the way back to God. If works don't get you, in, get you back to God, what does work? Jesus does. Jesus does. This is the big news of Christmas. This is why Jesus came, okay? Because we couldn't get our, we could not get back to God. We couldn't do it, okay? We couldn't work hard enough and be good enough to get back to God. It was impossible for us to be good enough to get God's approval because he expects perfection and rightly so because he is God. And we can never be good enough to get to work our way back. Works don't work. And so that's why we needed Jesus Christ to come. Think of it this way. 
Have any of you ever seen these programs on television where they, uh, they, they tell the story, document uh, people that have been incarcerated in third world countries? You've seen those stories before, okay? And how they're in these third world countries and they, create, they committed a crime and they're caught there and put in jail in horrible conditions. And many times it's like hopeless. They're never going to get out. They can't, I mean, even the, the, the embassies there can't help them get out. So they're stuck in a horrible set of circumstances that they're responsible for themselves. They actually committed a crime. And they're responsible for incarcerated in a foreign land. Think if that was you. If you were, you've done something really bad, done something foolish in a foreign land, and you're incarcerated because of it, and you're now paying for your crime, and you've done everything you know how to do. You've worked every angle you know how to work. You've tried everything you know how to do to get yourself out of that situation, and it comes up with a big zero, you're still in jail. And then someone shows up at your prison cell in this foreign country and they say, you know what, we've worked it out with the judicial system here and what we're going to do is I'm going to exchange places with you and I'm actually going to take your, 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 your punishment. I'm going to actually take and pay for your crime for you. And not only that, but I'm going to actually give you everything that you need to get back home so you can get back where you need to be and where you want to be, okay? And I'll take the place for you. Everything's already taken care of. Do you want the deal? Now, how many know you would be? I mean, I'm going to just use a word I don't normally use. Stupid. You don't take this deal? It's not very wise, is it? Here you are. Here's the deal that's offered to you. Here it is. I will do this for you. I will take your, your punishment for you. So you can go free and you can go back to where you want to be, okay? That is exactly, in an analogous form, the kind of thing that Jesus Christ did for you. And here we are in prison and dead in our sins. And not even capable of getting ourselves out of our mess. We can work as hard as we want and we're not going to get ourselves out of this prison. But Jesus, the Savior, shows up and comes down into our world. Listen closely. And what he does is this. Jesus not only is born, he grows up, 30 years of age, enters into ministry. He ministers for about three, three and a half years, and then he goes to the cross. On the cross of Calvary, it was not just a matter of people killing him because they didn't like him. This was the design of God. God said, you're going to come as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, Jesus. And Jesus submitted himself to that, and he went to the cross of Calvary as the perfect Lamb of God. So the only one that's ever been perfect is Jesus, right? There is no other perfect person. The only one that's ever been perfect is Jesus. And so now because he's perfect, he can do the work. God can accept him because he is perfect. So what he does, he goes to the cross and on the cross he says, Father, now I've submitted myself to you. And the Father poured out the penalty for all of our sins upon Jesus Christ. He paid the price for you. And then he says, I've done this for you. I'm making an offer. If you will accept me and put your faith in me, you don't have to work. It's not earning anything here. The works will come later because if I'm in you, you'll do good works. You don't do good works to get to me. But once I get in you, you do good things. Okay, good things start happening in your life. So it's not an issue of whether you want to do good. The issue is you can't do the kind of good you need to do because you need to have, have life. And so Jesus says, if you'll put your faith in me, you can be born again and you can get back to God. And by the way, I'll prove to you that I am who I said I am. Watch this. And on Easter morning, death could not hold him. He came up 
out of the tomb, rose victoriously from the grave. He is the risen Savior, and He lives today. I promise you, listen, there's not a single person who has ever started a religion who rose from the grave. There's not one. You can't name one. They don't exist. There's not a single person who started any of the world religions that we know today that can make the claim, I rose from the grave. You study them all, they're still in the tomb somewhere. But Jesus said, I'm going to show you that I am the Son of God. I'm going to prove to you that I am who I said I am because death will not be able to hold me because I am perfect in the eyes of God, acceptable sacrifice, the unblemished lamb that took the price for every sin. Death cannot hold me, and he came up from the grave, okay? And then he says, you want the deal? You want the deal? You want the deal? See, you have to come to the place of saying, yeah, I want it, okay? God never forces a deal on you. He offers you the deal. Do you want this? Do you want to put your faith in me? I did all, I did all the work. See, the good news, you don't have to work because Jesus did. Amen? Jesus did the work for you. So you put your faith in him, and that's where salvation comes. Notice, if you will, Luke chapter 19, verse number 10. For the Son of Man, what's the word? Came. That's Christmas. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. People who've lost their way. He came to seek us and to save us. Romans 8 verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. Anybody want to say hallelujah right there, okay? He sent his own son in a body. This is Christmas. In a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's the deal. Here's how we receive it. How do you take the deal? Okay? How do you receive it? Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 and 13. If, notice there's an if there, it's conditional. It's not going to happen unless you fulfill the condition. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You get the picture? Here you are incarcerated. The Savior shows up and you call on his name. Jesus, I need you to save me. I accept your deal. And at that moment, salvation comes to your life. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now notice what happens when you do this. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if anyone has accepted the deal, okay? If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone the new is here. What that means is new life has come. Second Corinthians 5 verse 21, God made him, that's Jesus who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way back to God. Jesus is the way to God. Last point. We were made 
created to love and know God. We lost our way because of sin, deadness of sin. We try works, but works don't work. Now Jesus comes, Christmas, as our way back to God. But the last point I want to give you is that the way back to God is also in Jesus as our way forward. I'm, I'm interested not just in living in a moment. I want to go forward with my life. How about you? Amen. Jesus came to not only put us back into relationship with God so that we could know him, love him, but he also is our way forward in life. He's your way back to God, but he's also your way forward in life, okay? See, when Jesus comes into your life, it's not just about a moment in time. It's about a journey that you start, amen, okay? So I come to know him. As not, that's not the end of the story. Okay, I met Jesus. I guess I just go about living my life who I always have. no. When you meet Jesus, it's the beginning of a journey. It's a journey forward. John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man or no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way back to God, but I'm also your way forward in life, right? Notice what he says here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the way, not only back to God, but he's the way to truth and life, okay? This truth in life is that you might know the truth so you can build your life on truth, not lies. Because the problem with Adam and Eve is they built their life on a lie, right? They listened to the deceiver, the serpent, and that's where everything went south for them. Now, what we need to do in relationship with God is to begin to build our lives on the truth. That's why you need to be a growing Christian. That's why you need to learn your Bible. That's why you need to understand the things of God so that you can grow into truth, that more truth will come into your heart, your spirit. You'll gain more insight that will help you to live a wise kind of life. So Jesus is your way forward into truth. He's your way forward into life. When it comes to life forward, there are two kinds of life. Your life in this world that we're living and the life beyond this world, okay? So that's what's for. That's, what ahead, that's what's ahead for you. If you don't die today, tomorrow will come. Amen? And some, at some point in time, there'll be a moment in your life when this life will be over. And so looking ahead for you, there are either days ahead for you or a moment in time when you will leave this world and go to the next world. And so Jesus is not only your way back to God, but he's, he's your way forward into truth and life here as we live day by day and for eternity. Let's talk about eternity first, okay? And I'll come back to daily living in just a moment. And I'm just about done. I promise I'll be done in 45 minutes, I promise you. No, just about done. So stay with me as we land in the airplane here. One of the things that you need to be very sure of in your life is what's going to happen when you die. Because last time I che checked, the statistics are one out of one die. Okay. Everybody's going to face death one day. And I hope that I can shake you up a little bit about that reality. Not to frighten you, but to remind you that it's a reality. Everybody, everybody will die and you don't know when it's going to happen. You do not know when it's going to happen. Don't think, oh, I've got plenty of time left. No, you don't know when it's going to happen, okay? Everybody's going to die. 
And the issue is what will happen for you for eternity? Because eternity is a really long time, okay? It's forever and ever, okay? And so you need to be sure that when you die, you're stepping into life, amen? And that's part of what faith in Jesus does. It's your way forward into eternal life. And the beautiful thing about being a Christian is that when you die, you don't really die. You physically die, and your body is dead, but you step into what has already been given to you, eternal life, okay? And I often will say this at funerals of Christians, and it's absolutely true, biblically, I believe, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, the Scripture says. And so when I take my last breath here, whenever that is, I will immediately take my next breath in heaven. It's just like the best way I can describe it. If you know Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life, and he is, he is in your life, you've accepted the deal, you've followed Him, here's what happens. It's like walking from one, one room in your house to the other room. You're in the den, and you just walk from the den into the kitchen. You're in the kitchen, you walk from the kitchen into the den. It's just transition. That's all it is, okay? So you don't need to be afraid of death if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. For the Scripture says in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His own one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have, 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 not hope to have, but have everlasting life. I stand in that reality right now, so I am not afraid to die. There's not a single bit of fear in me when I think about dying. Now, I'm not wanting to go today, okay? Unless God chooses. I don't have a death wish, okay? But I'm not afraid of it. Why? Because I know that when I face it, it's like stepping out of the den into the kitchen. Or out of the kitchen into the den. It's taking one breath here and then taking my next breath there. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord because I don't hope to have eternal life. I have eternal life, okay? I have it, okay? It is mine right now. I'm not trying to get it. I'm not working for it. I'm not just hoping all the things balance out in heaven as a little more good than bad. No, I'm not doing that. I have eternal life, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything that Jesus did, okay? That's why I have eternal life, okay? So there's a life that you have in Jesus, so it's our way forward, but also for this life, because it's not just a matter of getting there for eternity, i got to live in the nasty now and now, now until I get there, right? Okay. So how am I going to live in the nasty now and now and have life now? Jesus said, the thief, John 10 verse 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it how? To the full. Or one translation says to have life in abundance, to have abundant life. So what God is saying is in the nasty now and now, I promise you, every resource that's necessary in abundance for you to live the life that you need to live now until you get there. Amen? Why did Jesus come? Why is Christmas a big Christmas? Why is it a big deal? Because Jesus came to get us back to God. We lost our way. Our works don't work. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'll get you there back to God. And not only am I, I, am I your way back, but I'm also your way forward. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us. I pray you'll take this message and let it come deeply into our hearts this morning, I pray. 
I ask, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that this would be their day to receive you in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.